0: Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com.
1: Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about why oil and gas creates better investors. We're going to talk about how oil and gas leads to understanding of cycles, how it helps people understand that companies have real value, but also that companies have real risk associated with that value, and industries have real risk. But it's interesting to set up the the context because this is really the unpacking of a theory of Justin and I. We've uh, we've both been in the profession for a long time, and we've had you know several corrections during our professional lifetimes and and even in bear markets. And we've noticed that this bear market, we haven't had as much outreach from clients as uh, at some of our prior firms. And so we really admire that. It seems like a lot of our clients with an oil and gas background get the volatility and the understanding of that. So Justin and I were having a conversation about that and, and we really just began to ask the question, why do we think that is? What's what's going on there? So this episode is gonna be talking about uh, some reasons why we think that is and we'd love your feedback as, as to what you think. But Justin, where do you wanna start this conversation? Or what do you wanna to add to that that context we're painting?
2: Yeah, I think one of the big reasons why we wanted to do this podcast was uh, we, were, we were listening to our episode, our round table with David McEllips and Will Sims. And Will said something in that episode that, that really struck me as I listened to it um, a, a second time. And, and he said that, uh, I think he was talking about the risk and, and how, do you, how do you manage risk in the industry you're in and how do you think about risk as a personal investor. Uh, but he said that we have lived through so many 100 year floods Uh, And, you know, obviously what he means by that is is the industry uh, has just seen some really difficult times uh, in the past six, seven years. And if you go back to 2010 all the way to today, uh, well, before the giant run up in oil and gas stocks, you know, starting about a year ago or so, a little longer 2010 to that time, just a really terrible time uh, to be in oil and gas by and large. So a pretty difficult decade. So that quote, we've lived through so many 100 year floods. The reason that struck me is uh, in finance. So if you've been in the investment advisor uh, space, if you've really done anything in finance, um, it has not been a difficult time at all (laughs) since 2010. Um, I have a a few good friends from college that are, that are in the tech space. And oh my goodness, it has not been a difficult time at all. Uh, and you think about any other industry, wherever you are, uh, since 2010, it has been an exceptionally easy time period. Everything in the US economy has boomed. Everything has seen incredible gains in the stock market, except oil and gas. So 2010 through 2020, everything has by and large done exceptionally well oil and gas has not at all and so that quote made us examine this and think you know what it is kind of interesting because if you are in this profession you're probably going to be a much different long-term investor than than most folks and so yeah i think jared you provided good context and i think that that leads the way uh, as well to have this discussion and so let's uh let's dive in and talk a little bit about cycles
1: yeah so Cycles, right? I, and, and a good framing for this is things are never as good or as bad as they seem, right? There's booms and busts, right? If you look at if you look at the long term trend of the stock uh, of the stock market, it's up and to the right, but there's always a crisis de jour, and always there's a lot of volatility and, and and a lot of pain that's endured on that long successful road. So we think one of the reasons why oil and gas prepares people to be such good investors is because they have a stomach. For volatility, Uh, oil and gas is a very highly cyclical industry. It's it's feast or famine. In the last decade, uh, we're recording this in twenty twenty two, which has been one of the best starts for energy ever. And that is juxtaposed against five years ago, less than five years ago, oil going negative, right? So, in their professional careers and in the space in which they work, there's they've seen just massive amounts of boom and bust. And they know that they're one downturn away, one regime change away, uh, one economic uh, gulf crisis away from the landscape drastically changing. Uh, So really just kind of having lived that in their professional careers, they understand, they get it. They know that this is part of it and they're playing the long game, but also prudently managing risk in, in the short term. Justin, what would you add there?
2: Yeah, I think uh, that's a that's a really great way to put it, the cycles and just understanding booms and busts. Uh, the biggest thing I think when when you talk about this is I, I think it's fascinating to go back over the past 25 years and pinpoint different parts of, of, of time and ask the question, what did you want to be investing in during that time? Um, like 95 to 2000 or 95 to 1999. What is the one part of the market where you were hopefully putting all of your money? Technology was where you wanted to be in the late 90s. Absolutely. Uh, tech mutual funds, tech companies were just quadrupling on on a very, very short period of time. Uh, and that was, that was an excellent investment. But how about the 2000s? Where did you want to be there? Not in the U.S. Literally anywhere but the U.S.? Uh, basically any international investment, emerging markets. And then 2010 to 2020, where did you want to be? Large U.S. companies, large growth U.S. companies. That's right. That's right. And we could get way more uh, uh, in the weeds with this and go back to the 90s and say, oh man, you wanted to be in small value, uh, but also uh, small companies did better than large companies in the 2000s. So I mentioned all of this to just say, if you're going to be a good investor, you have to understand that, that there are going to be periods of time where huge parts of the market underperform. And you have to understand that there are going to be years where something may do extraordinarily well and other things may not do that well at all. Uh, and I, and, you know, the, our premise of this podcast is we're kind of surprised that our clients seem to be handling this current market crash very well. Uh, they're not freaking out um, for the most part. And I think this, this idea of cycles, um, I think that you're probably right, Jared, that, that if you're, if you're working in oil and gas, you probably have a a really good tangible experience that things run in cycles. And if times are bad today, they're probably not going to be bad forever. And if times are good today, they're probably not going to be good forever.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I would add with cycles, it incorporates how you think about risk management, right? Like a lot of our oil and gas employees who get equity compensation won't really include that, incorporate that into their financial plan. They'll assume that's gravy, right? And they won't overextend on the house. And they won't, you know, act as though the bear market or the bull market's going to continue way into the future. They realize equilibrium equilibrium is probably somewhere in between the the highest high and the lowest low they've felt. So there's there's a prudent risk management in how you allocate your household balance sheet. And just kind of that being something you can control versus this this external industry wide cyclicality thing. So um, I I think not only understanding cycles, but you have to have a temperament that that meets somewhere in the middle of those two. And we've seen you know a lot of our clients that we work with manage their balance sheets well and try to try to not get too fearful or too greedy uh,
2: at the at at the exact wrong time. Yeah, you know, you mentioned something before we started recording this. So when we were working on our notes, you mentioned that. Clients have not been calling us asking to put a bunch more money into oil and gas stocks right now, and that's pretty unique. And you know, you mentioned this, but this is not unique. This is, I'm sure, every CFP can resonate with this. At prior firms that we've worked with, let's go back to, let's say, you know, 2014 or something. Not uncommon for a client to bring up, "Why aren't we putting more money in Amazon? Why, why aren't we putting more money in Netflix?" because that specific stock or a specific part of the market just screened up and the performance is unreal. Chasing chasing high performance is really tempting for everyone. Uh but there's this there's this uh, kind of humble hum- humility around how well oil and gas is doing right now. There's not the desire to just keep throwing more money at it.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So that's kind of the first piece is hey understanding this macro idea of cyclicality but the the second point is really understanding that companies have real value and i think i think these two these two ideas are kind of connected cuz understanding market cycles is easier when you understand that companies have value right cuz Really, what you're doing is you're buying a company that produces goods and services, right? And their ability to do so will, in fact, be impacted by the economy, by public sentiment, by a multitude of economic factors, by, you know, a global pandemic, right? There's a million inputs that go into these things, but you're not buying all the inputs. You're buying the output, which is a company that produces a good or service to the overall economy. And Justin, this was your idea to throw this in there. So I'd love for you to start and talk about why, like under this idea of like companies having real value and and like specifically, why do oil and gas employees have a better understanding of of that idea
2: than the average, you know, than someone who works at a tech company, for example? All right, so companies having real value. Uh, sounds like a pretty obvious statement, but I do think if you want to be a great long-term investor, you need to have a tangible conviction on this point um let's talk about real estate uh real estate i think is a really good comparison um so we are recording this in late june so jared i'm thinking over the past uh few months we've seen interest rates for home loans almost double um and that's still i'm not even sure when this podcast will be released but that is still very recent as of the time we're recording so i say that just to say uh we're just going to say a hypothetical That real estate, what if real estate crashes? Not a prediction. We're not predicting it will crash. Just going to give you a hypothetical. If real estate crashes, well, it doesn't matter if the world is just going crazy. It doesn't matter if we're in the worst recession, et cetera. You are still going to be able to sell your house for something, right? Your house, your primary home has tangible value. Even if we're in a recession, even if interest rates continue to go up, um, there is a price at which almost everyone will want to line up and buy your home. And the reason for that is real estate is not going to zero. Your house and the land that your house is on likely has some value regardless of market conditions. Um, Jared, is that a reasonable premise we can agree on that? Yeah, I
1: would say with the asterisk of if we have any international listeners and property rights is muddled. Uh, That's a different conversation. But yes, for the average investor in oil and gas uh, professional in our market that gets to enjoy the benefits of substantial property rights, low risk of expropriation, yes. Of course,
2: me playing devil's advocate, but yeah. That is perfect. I love it. So take that point. Even if real estate crashes, your house and the land that your house is on has some value. You need to start thinking about companies in the exact same way. Um, We can share this in the show notes, uh, but the uh, chart that was done, uh, I've got it in front of me and it essentially shows the S&P 500 and then it shows the S&P 500 since 92. So 30 year chart. And then it shows the forward looking uh, P.E. ratio of the S&P 500. And what's what's fascinating is thanks to this crash, the price of companies, historically speaking, is pretty reasonable. Thanks to this crash, the, the current price of, of what you can buy stocks at, and again, I'm, I am uh, recording this in June, so not even sure when this is going to be released. No idea what's going to happen in the market in the meantime and stuff. But right now, the price of stocks is relatively reasonable. If the market continues to crash further, that same dynamic that I just mentioned with your primary home in real estate is also true within the stock market. What I mean by that is, well, at some point, yeah, housing prices can come down. But at some point, if you list your house for 50% of your neighbors, there's going to be a, a crowd of people lining up to buy it because your house has value. The same is true in the stock market. As markets come down, there is a price at which investors look at this and say, oh, my goodness, this is an incredible company. And I'm able to buy the earnings. I'm able to buy future shares, future a future stake in the revenue of this company at a really attractive price. And so what I I think oil and gas uh, professionals have a better understanding. They have a better conviction around this because they've had an equity compensation plan whether it's stock options, RSUs, whatever it is, they've had participation in that during a horrible decade. And I think that's a little better of a lesson to learn rather than, you know, if you've got, you know, some employee equity comp plan at a tech company that just keeps going up and up and up. That may not teach you the same lesson, but if you're in oil and gas and you're looking at your RSUs and you're looking at the value and you're you're seeing, hey, I I know this is a tough time in the market uh, for this sector, but I'm showing up at work every day. I'm able to see that we are providing value. There is a market for what we're doing. What we have has some value. That's a really important lesson to lean on, Um, and. You know, Jared, I I think that what we're really getting at here is to be a good investor. Uh, Carl Richards says that you need to avoid the big mistake. And if you could just kind of define what that is, what is the big mistake that Carl Richards says you need to avoid?
1: It's funny. I don't know what the big
2: mistake is. What is the big mistake, Justin? (laughs) Sorry, that's my (laughs) bad. You're good. Uh, The big mistake is selling stocks during a downturn. So the big mistake is markets down. 20%, 30%, Twenty percent, thirty percent. I'm terrified. Let's get out of stocks, um, and that's what we want to avoid. And I think a, a reason why that has so much, you know, desire. So uh, the reason why that's so tempting. There's a lot of people that are calling for massive market crashes over the last decade that have been predicting that the entire stock market is just a Fed-induced, you know, fake casino, and that it's all going to go to zero, and that's just not reality. That's
1: right, but if your behavior is, "Hey, I'm I'm speculating on this thing," like then your logic is the blackjack table has gone cold. Let's you know, let's take our losses and leave. Versus, "Hey, I actually own the casino. You know, we paid out a lot of money, but if we if we remain invested in this thing, it'll do well over the over the long term." But I think, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like to to use the housing analogy, you know, selling at the bottom of two thousand eight in hindsight was really you know, probably the worst time to do it, right? And everybody can look back on that and easily say that you should not have done that if you did. Um, And of course, a lot of people lost their jobs. So there was a lot of extenuating circumstances where, you know, people didn't have a a choice. So I empathize and that's really tough. But, you know, statistically, that was a really tough time to sell. And it's interesting because bringing it back to our clients, when, when, you know, when oil was struggling, we didn't have clients say, hey, let's sell. Because you know they, they've just gotten used to it, and they they say, "Hey," because getting back to Justin's point, the P P to E price to earnings, which is basically how cheap or inexpensive a stock market is, the dollar, how much willing, how much someone is willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. The fascinating thing is, a dollar of earnings is always worth a dollar of earnings. So earnings are same; that price is what varies, and price is really you know long term the stock market trades in relation to its earnings over the short term the price fluctuates drastically not because the underlying companies are changing at that rate but humans optimism and pessimism about the future it's the emotional volatility of investors and that's why things things move up and down but oil and gas professionals kind of have an understanding of that and and it's funny looking at some of these employer plans of company stock, the the basis variance, I'll call it. They have some stock some stock that is just so far underwater and some stock that has just such a large gain that it would just be so painful to realize it. So a lot of our investors and, and you know, so you'll see all that wide variance, but at the end of the day, they usually have a pretty, pretty significant gain if they've held it for long enough. But they've they've lived this in a really tangible
2: way. Yeah, that's right. And I think to just draw a conclusion on this point, if you want to be a good investor, you have to have a conviction for why companies have value. Uh, more specifically, you are going to continue to see people calling for some 80%, 90% market crash. Um, they make headlines, they're they're new, they're attention-worthy headlines. I know Robert Kiyosaki had a bunch of those over the past decade. He kept calling that, you know, the market is just not even real and it's going to completely crumble. If you want to be a good investor, you have to understand that that is not reality and that companies do have tangible value. And to be honest, if, if the market falls 95%, I mean, we, we are talking about an apocalyptic scenario where stock prices are going to be the least of your concerns.
1: That's, yeah, that's a scary scenario, but so true. But yeah, it's basically like it, investing in public equity markets is the best way to be bullish on human ingenuity right? Like at the end of the day, that's what it is because we don't know what the future holds. Nobody does. um, But we believe in humans, humans ability to innovate. And that when economic incentives are aligned with that innovation, it's going to, the human spirit is going to find a way to persevere and figure it out. So, you know, if you don't know what you're investing in or why you're investing in it, you're much less likely to have the stomach, but oil and gas, you've seen the boom and bust. And there's some fundamental, like, like in that same scenario of having the investment convictions, there's some fundamental beliefs that, a lot of our clients probably have about oil is, okay, it's the most reliable way to get energy to billions of people, right? There's, there's go- there's going to be a demand for it for a really long period of time. There's a lot of headwinds as well, but like, there's some fundamental truths that I can go back to that, that helps me from selling at these temporarily depressed prices and seeing the long-term perspective. Cause I know, I know the need, I, I see the future and I can kind of hold through this, th- through this change in sentiment.
2: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Do we want to round it out and give the last uh, conviction builder that you need to have to be a good investor? Yeah.
1: So we got to understand that companies have real value. And we've talked about this a little bit, but we'll we'll just flesh it out anymore. But oil and gas has a very lived experience with this idea that understanding that companies have real risk, right? We can't talk about oil and gas in Houston And risk management without talking about Enron, right? Like this is burned into the back of, of the brains of, of that economy, right? It was one of the great, one of the great companies, one of the darlings all on the publications, um, that went bankrupt and was subject to fraud. Right. And so, you know, there's this, there's this poster child of, Hey, very bad risk management, but also even in the oil and gas profession, right? Uh when the booms and the busts do happen, there's a lot of consolidation. There's a lot of companies that get overexposed or over-leveraged or, or over, you know, they overinvest in RD or they overpay for assets and and you know, you're left as an unsecured credit of their company with a pension wondering, hey, you know, how how is this gonna shake out for me? So this is something that's not only lived in in the context of Enron, but also just seen, you know, in the day-to-day mergers and acquisitions and and just the landscape of the profession, but it really creates an incentive to diversify. A lot of our clients are employees at Super Majors. Um, so the risk of bankruptcy or fraud are are lower, um, but they're not non-zero. And even if, you know, and even if those risks are low, prudent diversification matters, right? Because like we said, the, the the range of outcomes, even with oil and gas stocks, is wide. The 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 variance in shareholder basis is is a testament to that. Justin, what would what would you say there in terms of thinking about, okay, why why oil and gas professionals have a good understanding of companies having real risk?
2: Yes. Uh, I think it's, it's very vivid over the past, uh, well, not over the past year, but if you go 2010 to 2020, it is really uh, painful and obvious that you needed to have investments elsewhere. You needed to have investments outside of the industry. You needed to be diversified. And uh, pretty, pretty, you know, elementary point that we want to, you know, make sure that we're we're in agreement on. But if you want to be successful at living off of your wealth, if you want to not work and simply live off of your wealth, you cannot make uh, a few concentrated bets. You have to have an element of diversification, um, and I think it's okay if if you have some concentrated bets. Uh, we've talked a lot about this podcast, how you and I on our personal balance sheets, we have a very concentrated bet in a in a small business, Brownlee Wealth Management. And so that is uh, that is that is one thing to consider as you're young, uh, especially if you have control of that small business like we do. But if you are trying to live off of your wealth in a passive way, uh, meaning if you want to retire at some point, you you simply cannot afford to make concentrated bets. You have to have exposure elsewhere. Um, and and Jared, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on just the humility of investing. And we talked a little bit about the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s and how different parts of the market did well and then struggled. But I mean, how critical is it and how do you build a, a humble portfolio that you can potentially live off of for, for decades?
1: Yeah, I mean, diversification right? Investment humilities. right. We go back to this idea so much that we don't know when the best market's going to do well, what geography is going to do the best, what sector. So we believe in global diversification, right? Exposure to all of them in the past, you know, the past decade. And then, and then this last year is a great example of that. The last 10 years, it's been really easy to make a case for diversifying from oil and gas, right? But this year, it, it, it doesn't look like it's made any sense, but with hindsight it was it was obvious but we had no way of knowing that what was going to happen happened right so these these past 2 years have been a great great example of why it's important to diversify right and it's it's really gets back to holding these two ideas in tension right it's like hey i need to be optimistic about the future but i need to be humble about how much of it i can predict so that's really kind of how 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 the risk management comes into into play right cuz you don't want you you want to be optimistic because pe- pessimism will make you bearish and it'll make you pull out of the market or which which you don't want to do and no one can do well right but on the other on the other hand there needs to be a, a focus of hey I there's a lot I don't know the the investment universe is a big place there's always going to be doing there's always going to be something doing well and something doing poorly but over the long term you know I, I know what I own I have conviction about it and I believe in its long-term prospects
2: that's right. Um, and, and really specifically, we don't know if small caps are going to do well over the next two years. We also don't know if small caps are going to do better than large caps for the next 10 years. We don't know whether value is going to catch up and overtake growth. Um, we don't know if if international will continue to, to trail US returns over the next 10 years. We do not know any of that. Uh, but again, if you are trying to build wealth that you passively live off of, Four decades, you need to have exposure everywhere uh, because it did not make any sense to have emerging market exposure in the 2000s um, it, when, when you were at the beginning of that decade. It made all the sense in the world to continue to chase dot com money. Uh, but my goodness, what a huge mistake that would have been. And the same is true now in, in many different ways. Um, and so having an approach where you have the humility to say that we don't know where the returns are going to come from. Uh, or another way to put this, you cannot look at your portfolio and, uh, uh, get rid of of what does poorly over the past one year, two years, you have to have an approach where you, you are relying on, on returns from all over the market.
1: Yeah. And following the academic evidence, but Justin to wrap up, I'd be, I want to invite our listeners. Um, this is really the laying out of our theory, right? Uh, Oil and gas inv- investors or oil and gas employees understand that companies have real risk, that they have real assets and real opportunities, and also that they have a good understanding of market cycles. So those are the three reasons we came up with as to as to why we think oil and gas professionals make for such good investors. But we'd love to hear from you and see what do you think that is, or maybe you disagree with us. Maybe you don't think they're good investors, and and that we're you know we have a certain vantage point that's different from yours. We'd uh. We'd love to hear from you, Uh, podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.